Now it's Easter, and let me say something about Easter. On that first Easter Sunday morning, the angel didn't roll the stone away to let Jesus out. <laughs> the angel rolled the stone away to let us in. Because, see, I, I, I will not follow a Jesus that could, on Friday, die for the sins of the world, suffer not just physically hanging there on the cross, but suffer spiritually as the Father laid upon him the penalty, the weight of the sin of the world, and then abandon him on the cross and die. And then to overcome death, to rise on that, uh, that, that Easter Sunday morning, only to be stuck in a grave. To be calling out, appearing around the rock. Hey! Hey, buddy! I'm stuck in here. Hey, can, can you come? Can you get me out? Can you come help me out here and, and kind of get some buddies to, to move the stone out of the way? Can you do that for me? <laughs> oh, oh, never mind. Here comes an angel. He'll, he'll do it and he'll let me out. No. You see, that's not a Jesus I will follow. Jesus, on that day, he rose from the dead and he was not confined by space or matter. Jesus could be wherever he wanted to be, and the walls and the, and, the, and the rock of that grave, of that tomb, could not confine him. The angel didn't roll the stone away to let Jesus out. The angel rolled the stone away to let us in so that we could come and see what God had done. In fact, that's exactly what the angel said in Matthew 28. He said this, He is not here. He has risen, just as he said, look what he says, come and see the place where he lay. Come and see what God has done. And what did God do? He did everything. He did it all. When it comes to forgiveness and renewal and redemption, he did all the work. That's the story of Easter, is that God did it all. You know, they say there are five great religions of this world. And Christianity is listed as one of the five great religions. I say that's wrong. There are four, quote, great religions of the world. And there is one incredible story of grace. You see, what religion says is this. Religion says, hey, you got to go to work. you got to make it happen. You see, you've got a lot of this ugly, nasty stuff in your life. And, and the, the scales are just automatically not tipped in your favor. So you have to go out and do enough good things, enough righteous things to make sure the scale is tipped in your favor. you got to get after it. It's about you making it happen. So you got to go out and be good enough. you got to go out and be pious enough. you got to go out and be holy enough so the scales can be tipped in your favor. That's religion. Half religion says, yes, Jesus died for you, but you got to make it count for you. So you got to go out there and be good enough so it will count for you. But grace, grace says God has already done all the work. Grace says that Jesus wore your sins on the cross. Grace says Jesus died in our place. Grace says that Jesus went to the depths and suffered. Grace said... Grace says that he came back to life and he conquered the grave. Grace says that Christ did it all. So that when we come in here today, we can come in here and realize 
that all we have to do is to walk into the finished work of God. (laughs) Easter is the story of the birth of grace. Easter is the story of how on Friday religion died and on Sunday grace, God's amazing grace was born. And anybody, anybody can come and see what God has done. Listen, the miracle of Easter isn't just what Jesus did on that Sunday. The miracle of Easter is just not that. The miracle of Easter is that even today we can come and we can invite Him into our life. And we can walk into, listen, the finished work of Christ and find freedom from the grave that has a tendency to close us and trap us in. And we can walk with God for the rest of our life here and forever. That's the miracle of Easter. And that's why when the angel rolled that stone away, he wasn't rolling it away to let Jesus out. He was rolling it away to let us in. And he said, come and see what God has done. And to this day, he is still saying, come and see what God has done. I want to spend just a few moments this morning looking at that first sermon that was preached after Jesus' death, his resurrection, and after he ascended back into heaven. It's in Acts chapter 2. If you have a Bible, you can turn there to Acts chapter 2. Let me set up the context for you a little bit. Jesus died, very public death. He was put in a grave, it was sealed on, and he was resurrected. And after that, he appeared. He didn't appear just to his 11 disciples. He appeared to hundreds. Some scholars said that, that it looks like in writings that he possibly could have appeared to thousands of people, but at the very least, hundreds and hundreds of people he appeared to having conversation with. And so people started talking about it because it got to a place where it wasn't just you hearing a rumor that Jesus was alive again and that he was talking with people and it wasn't just it was it got to a place whether you saw it firsthand or you knew somebody that saw it firsthand either you did or your brother did or your best friend did because he appeared after his resurrection to so many people and so it was a buzz was being generated in Jerusalem people were talking about this I saw him or my brother saw him or my cousin saw him and not only that but he saw him and he said he saw him and, and there's this whole this conversations going on this buzz going on and there's the beginning of a movement is happening and during this time Jesus told his disciples hey guys this is how it's going to work out I, I'm going to return to the right hand of the father And I'm going to go back to heaven. And you are going to be the ones that are going to take this message, the story of grace. And you're going to be the ones that birth the genesis of this movement. And it's going to become unstoppable. It's going to move 
throughout the Jewish people. And, and it's going to move from there through the Roman Empire. And it's going to move there, and it's going to be unstoppable. Cultures will not be able to stop it. Time won't be able to stop it. Distance won't be able to stop it. Governments will try, but they will be unable to stop it. It will go on and on. And generation to generation, it will continue, and it will be unstoppable. It will move from us to, to our people, to the known world, and it will keep moving from over there to over here to America, to Macon, to right here this morning to you. It is just unstoppable. But you're not strong enough on your own to go and do this. You were the guys that when I was on the cross, you were running scared, you were denying me, you were frightened, and you're still frightened to this moment. You're not, you're not strong enough because there's just, there's just too much in this world working against you. There's too much evil and darkness in this world. And there's too much working against you in you. There's insecurities and there's fear and there's sinfulness. So here's what I need you to do. I need you to go to Jerusalem and just wait. Just wait. A lot of times before God does something big, He often tells us, just wait on me. Just wait wait. And that's sometimes the hardest time. He says, just go and wait. And when I return to the Father, I will send my Spirit. And when my Spirit arrives on the earth, He will give you a bold confidence and power where you will be able to do this. So they do that. They go to Jerusalem and they wait. Now during this time of waiting, <clears throat> a Jewish holiday called Pentecost comes about. Pentecost, a lot of times seen as a Christian thing. Long before it was a Christian thing, it was a Jewish thing. still is a Jewish thing. It is, uh, on the Jewish calendar, it is one of the, the three biggest feasts or celebrations on the Jewish calendar. It is always held 50 days, about two months, after the Passover. The Passover was when Jesus was crucified. So it's been about two months. And the thing about it in Jesus' time, when Pentecost came, the city of Jerusalem would be flooded with people from afar. Jewish people would come back to celebrate Pentecost in Jerusalem. Because that was kind of the headquarters, the, the home base of Judaism. Now, a lot of people that would come back had never lived in Jerusalem. They had been born in a different culture, spoke a different language, but they were still Jews, very much like today. Though I'm a Christian here in America, there are Christians in in China and India, and we live in different cultures, under different governments, speak a different language, but we all have Christ. Same thing is true with Judaism. It had spread through the ages, and it was in different cultures, different places. And so you have all these people that knew nothing, know little about the Hebrew culture and didn't speak the Hebrew language. They lived in other places, but they were still Jews, and they would descend on Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. So the city looked very cosmopolitan. There's all kinds of people, all different kinds of cultures, speaking all different kinds of languages. And they're walking into Jerusalem that's kind of on fire with this story going around about Jesus. Who is this guy? We're asking again. And so these people are coming in, and they're hearing it, and they're starting to go, what? who is what? And they're kind of getting in the story and who it is, getting the background. And so they're kind of pulled into this, and man, the whole city is electric. And they're looking for the disciples to make sense of it all. Well, during all this going on, the disciples were together on one evening, having some community and waiting. And suddenly, for the first time, God's Spirit steps into our reality. And he, He arrives like God would arrive. He arrives, and it says the wind was rushing. It said that the house they were in shook. And the Spirit of God 
begin to lay on the hearts of these men. And all of a sudden, these guys who were two months earlier were scared half to death. Now, all of a sudden, had tremendous boldness and, and confidence in the story of Jesus and the message of Jesus. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God just gave them what they didn't have. Another interesting thing is that the Bible tells us that God not only gave them the Spirit, which comes with boldness, but He also gave them a skill and the ability to speak languages that previously they couldn't speak. And it's freaking them out, freaking people out. They're like, hey, I'm John, I've known you all your life. I didn't know you spoke. And he's like, I didn't know I spoke this either. And so all of a sudden, all these people begin to have, all these disciples begin to have the ability to speak. Now then, it makes sense once you know the background, right? It's phenomenal. It's kind of just a sign how God is always just one step ahead of us. He had these guys, 11 guys, he says, hey, I want you to be the Genesis. I want you to take this message to the world, but here's what I'm going to do. For your first start, you're not even going to have to leave home. I'm going to make your first step pretty easy. Instead of giving you the spirit and giving you abilities to go communicate with different cultures, I'm going to give you that, but I'm going to bring different cultures to you. I'm instead of bring you, sending you to the world, your first step, I'm going to bring the world to your doorstep and bring all these people from different cultures, spoke different languages to Jerusalem. And so they stepped out and they began to connect with all these people and tell them the story of what, and the great thing is their stories just, they just shared what happened to them. And they just shared the story. Well, and it was just electric. And people were wondering and questioning. And there was both confusion and excitement. And all this was going on. So at one point, Peter decides to step up and tries to help make sense of it all. And in 2 Peter chapter, or Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 14, says this. Then Peter stood up with the eleven raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem. See, he's kind of addressing this. Fellow Jews, he's talking about all you fellow Jews, you that come from afar, different cultures and everything, and all who live in Jerusalem. It's both the far-off people coming in and the hometown people, everybody. He says, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Listen, I'm, I'm going to do my best to make sense of what is happening and to tell you this incredible story of grace. And then he, he kind of gives a defense uh, in verse 15. He says, these people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. There's a lot of craziness in these people. Like, I know John, and I've known him for all his life. Now he's speaking some language. I don't even know what he's talking. Is that a real language? Is he crazy? Is he drunk? So the people there are looking at the disciples going, what is the deal here? They're just babbling. They're speaking these languages. Those people seem to understand what's going on. I don't know what's going on. Maybe they're just drunk. And Peter said, they're not drunk. That's not the answer to what's going on. He kind of says, come on. And it's only nine in the morning. Give us a little credit. Down to verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man credited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourself know. Now, the first thing he says, hey, this Jesus, I don't really have to explain him to you. I don't have to tell you about what he taught or I tell you about his miracles or even try to defend the resurrection. I'm not even going to defend the resurrection because you know what? So many of you, you've seen him. So many of you, you were there when he healed people. You were there when he taught some amazing things. And there's a bunch of you out there who are skeptics that have seen him over the last 50 days interesting he 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 gives no defense of the resurrection because he didn't have to 
No one's standing up and going, hey, no, he didn't, the, the grave's over here. Let's go check out his body. Nobody does that. Because there is no tomb where his body is. And not only that, there had been so many people that had seen him, there was no need. There was nobody questioning. There was nobody saying, ah, because they're like, what? saw him what do i say to that verse 23 this man was handed over to you i love this i love this it was handed over to you by god's deliberate plan by god's set purpose is how he was handed over to you by god's deliberate plan and foreknowledge and you, and you could almost see him point out the religious leaders who always like to hang out on the fringes. Remember when Jesus taught, always talked about how the, the religious leaders were hanging out on the edge, just kind of monitoring this and looking for an opportunity to kind of say, oh, no, no, but just monitoring. You can almost see him at this point pointing and saying, and you, with the help of wicked men, that's the Romans, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. And you. I love how he says here that it was the man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan, by God's set purpose. You know what that means? He's just saying that, you know, on Friday, when this innocent son of God was being tortured and ultimately was publicly murdered, it wasn't a sign that everything had gone wrong. It was a sign that everything had gone right. Though it may appear from the outside that it was chaos, but Friday wasn't chaos. It was just God's long-awaited plan beginning to be unveiled. And what was God's plan? Listen to this. What was God's plan? His plan was to come for you before you even realize that you needed him. It was God's plan to make a way for you before you even realized that you needed a way. How awesome is the grace of God. You know, you and I are the benefactors of God's grace, but we were no way a part of the plan or the conspiracy to make it happen. Before you were even asking God in Christ had already made a way for you to beat the damage of sin. How awesome is the grace of God. It was His deliberate plan. That's why Jesus was handed over. It was His plan. He was already making a way before you even realized you needed a way. And I love that when He looks at them and says, And you, you! And you, you took him and nailed him to the cross and put him to death. God set it up and you tried to tear it down. That's what he said. God set all this up and you tried to tear it down. I mean, when I read that, I thought, golly, that's the story of my life. I can see so many times over my life where God just tried to set it up and I worked to tear it down. God tried to set it up and I worked to tear it down. God tried to set up forgiveness, and I just worked to tear it down. God tried to set up a purpose, and I worked to tear it down. God tried to set up this and that, and I just worked to... I'm really good at tearing down what God is trying to set up. And that's what he said to them. You. It's God's delivered plan that brought him, but you, you, you took him out. 
And you thought you put him to death. You thought you put an end to it. God set it up and you tried to tear it down. But I love the first two words of the next verse, verse 24. But God. God set it up. You tried to tear it down. But God. Jerry, God sets it up. And you do a great work of tearing it down. But don't worry because but God. Raised him from the dead, freeing him from agony of death because it, is, it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. It's impossible for the grave to keep its hold on him. You know, death is a fierce force. None of us have ever been able to beat death. All of us die. But Jesus beat death for us because the grave could not hold him in. And the power that that enabled Jesus to beat the grave is the same power that we can tap into in Jesus Christ. It's in him that we find the ability to find freedom from the grave that we close ourselves into. Let me tell you something. There are a lot of graves out there that we step into and the rock is pulled over and we feel like we're stuck. I don't know what your grave may be, what it may look like. Maybe it's a grave of fear and you're just stuck there. So much of life is controlled and decided by fear. Maybe your grave is insecurity. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe your grave that says you stuck and, and has a hold on you and has locked you in is a broken heart. What about this one? Bitterness. Ah, anger and bitterness is such a powerful tomb. Maybe it's frustration. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's loneliness. Maybe it's depression or selfishness. There are going to be things in life that are going to try to seal you in. And you're going to feel like you're stuck in a grave. And a big old rock is rolled right in front of it and there is no way out. Let me let you in on some good news. There is a way out. Because just as Jesus just as that grave did not hold Jesus, just as the power of God allowed Jesus to walk out of that grave in Christ, you have available to you that very same power that you can tap into to help teach you how to move out of the grave that you're in. And here's the most beautiful part of it all is you don't have to promise God anything. Ever hear people say that? Maybe even someone taught that or you've said it to yourself. God, if you will, then I promise I will. God, if you will, then I promise I will. God, if you'll only do this, if you'll only heal this, if you'll only help me here, then I promise I will. See, it's nice intention, but you, you fail to understand it's finished work. 
It's not work in progress. It's finished work. You don't have to promise God anything. All you have to come is do is, is come and realize that Jesus Christ has already done the work and just step into the finished work of God and say, God, here I am. And I just accept your finished work in my life and the power that comes with it. Now let's move on to what you have for me. That's all you got to do. Now some people, some pseudo-Christian religious type people say, well, hold on, Pastor. Always the, the religious pseudo-Christian people always call me Pastor. Hold on, Pastor. Hold on. Give me a little title before they criticize me. You tell people that, that the work is finished, that all they have to do is to walk into the finished work of God. They don't have to promise. Then what they're going to do is they're going to come and they're going to say, oh, Jesus, Jesus, help me. I messed this up. I messed this up. I messed this up. Just forgive me. Okay, we're good now. I'm going to go do what I want to do. They're going to abuse grace. You know what my response is to that? When you have truly come and seen what God has done, and when you realize truly what he's done for you and that you are no part away, a part of it happening or a part of it accomplishing, there was no part of you that made it happen. It was just the finished work of God on the, on the cross. It's the finished work of Christ. He did everything. He did it all. And all he says is to step in and accept it that you are forgiven and restored. And let's start moving on in the power that comes with that. When you really, really, really understand that and grasp that and invite it into your life, you don't want to walk away from that God. You don't want to walk away from that grace. You don't want to walk away from that truth. You want to walk with Him. You want to see what He has for you. I'm not worried at all with people saying, hey, it's a free gift. Well, let's abuse it. Because if you really understand it and want it, when you really understand that He, by no work of your own, completed the work of forgiveness and He offers it as a free gift, you will never want to walk away from that. And even if you do, there's that grace in you that's always calling you back. Always calling you back. And it may be one year, it may be two years, it may be 20 years, but I believe God's grace will not give up on you. And when you do turn around, He won't say start over. He'll say good to have you home. Now let's keep going with what I got for you. Because he did all the work. And the reason that stone is away, and every time you see a picture and you see the stone off to the side, it, remember this, it wasn't to let Jesus out. It was moved so you could peer in and see that God had already done all the work. It is the finished work of God. And all we have to do is to embrace it and accept it.